Let's make real estate for everyone. Welcome to the Addy Podcast. At Addy, we're on a mission to make every human a homeowner. On our podcast, we share real estate investing best practices, industry news, and advice from real life experts. Keep up to date with what we're doing at addyinvest.com. I'm Katie Kernahan, and today on episode number five of the Addy Podcast, we talk with Collier's Vice Chairman Kelly Heed about the future of Canadian real estate. Kelly is the Vice Chairman of Collier's International. In this position, Kelly is enjoying working with managers and salespeople on major accounts, new business development, and sales training. Kelly is a founding shareholder of Collier's International and was, until 1999, a member of the Board of Directors and the Executive Committee. So let's get into the future of Canadian real estate with Kelly. Uh, Adrian, I'll turn it over to you to introduce our lovely guest. Awesome. Thank you, Katie. Um, what can I say about Kelly? I, I honestly feel like I've known Kelly all my life. Uh, he's known my family. He knows my uncle and my dad. Uh, he's definitely someone, I think, in the Vancouver real estate scene that uh, is well known. Uh, but really uh, met Kelly about seven or eight years ago professionally when I was introduced to him. And he helped connect us uh, in my former position as Bud with uh, connections in Edmonton and Calgary and helped us get new warehouse lease as well as at Spud. Um, Kelly is someone who really cultivates authentic relationships. Uh, he really does take the time to get to know you and really cares about what's going on in your life. And, and then when he does that, you know, the Kelly connection magic happens. Uh, I've been to a lunch where I've been scheduled with Kelly with maybe two or three that's ended up being five or six. And all of us having some connection that Kelly knew he had listened and heard everything that we had all brought to the table and, and he made us this magical group. And in fact, uh, I'm friends with some who are actually on the call today from a Kelly connection. Um, so I, I truly respect Kelly, admire him greatly, uh, respect what he's, he's done in his career. Um, and really, I think what he's going to bring to all of us in his learnings and, and views in the future. So uh, maybe to get things started, uh, I, I can share with the group that Kelly started his career in the real estate world in September 1967 when he joined Macaulay Nichols Maitland. And, and maybe this is a great time to turn it over to Kelly and, and share with, them, with the, all of us how you came to be the vice chairman of Colliers today from that starting point. Hello all. Uh, I guess that introductory picture, I had a little more hair, Adrian. We could have gone back <laughs> even a few more years. Eh? Oh, you look a little more handsome and distinguished now, Kelly. <laughs> I, actually, I started uh, about two and a half years before that. I, I, when I finished university, I, I, I grew up in Kamloops. I was born and raised in Kamloops. My grandfather went into Kamloops in the 20s. So we, uh, uh, my brother and I went to university at UBC. One of the, it was only about nine of us that went off uh, in our graduating class of over 100. But we went off to university. My brother was a year older, uh, and he uh, in those days it was it was all about being an engineer. Of course, he was older and smarter. He he became an engineer. I went out. Uh, um, they put me into a triple honors program because uh, I was good at math, and I kind of figured that one out about November that that wasn't what I wanted to do. It was 44 hours of lectures in the labs. And I decided to opt out of that, joined a fraternity, dropped down to a math and economics program, and uh, had a pretty good time at school. <laughs> Once I finished, I didn't know what I was going to do, so I went back to Kamloops, fumbled into a real estate office, uh, and got started there. 
and then uh, ran into, was typical in those days, ran into John Nichols, who was the Nichols and Macaulay Nichols, which was, a, <clears throat> he was the son of one of the founders, and ran into him in the bar across the street from our office. And he was going goose hunting or something in the prairies, and he, and he said, what the hell are you doing here? Why don't you come to Vancouver and join us? And I said, look, I, I had been thinking about doing something different, maybe doing commercial real estate. So I up and we got married at that time, met my wife, uh, drove to Vancouver, rented a place, went into the office. Little did I know that John was ran the insurance division. Had no idea. The guy that ran real estate had no idea I was coming. I said, well, look, I'm here now. <laughs> you got to take me on. So that's how it started. But I've, I've kind of done it all. I was a, a broker for nine or nine years. And then more or less got backed into management because we had an issue. Uh, and I was off on a golf trip, came back, and then asked, uh, John Hawkins was his name. I said, he comes in and he said, well, we resolved the problem. He says, uh, uh, you know, we've got a new leader. And I said, well, who's that? He said, it's you. So I said, look, that's the last thing I wanted to do. But uh, so after 10 years of brokerage, I ran the office, uh, uh, Vancouver office for 17 years, which was a, a long time. Uh, and then uh, and then got into different things. We, uh, uh, we ended up our, buying our company from uh, a larger group. Uh, so Macaulay Nichols Maitland, and then we joined up and used the name Colliers, which came from Australia. So now we we refer to as Colliers International or Coll Colliers Macaulay Nichols is what uh, our legal name is now. <clears throat> so from that point onwards, we expanded the company. Uh, I had responsibilities for Western Canada and the Western states. We had some offices in the U.S., and then we uh, we just ballooned it from there, where we're now in. 56 countries. I do a lot with the Salvation Army. I think they're probably one group that's in more countries than we are, but it's a, it's a big business now. We're like a, almost a $3 billion uh, fee, fee business, but we're in the business of servicing real estate. We're not owners of real estate. So I just wanted to make sure when Adrian asked questions, it's not me buying the real estate, it's me advising people to buy the real estate. No, I think that's fair. And, and you know, the, so Collier's is, is huge and, and does quite a bit in the real estate market. Just in all of your years of experience, what's your general philosophy on real estate investing? You know, I think, uh, you know, real estate, you know, is a, uh, uh, there's risk attached. I mean, most, most investments that you make, uh, there's risk attached. So people who buy real estate, and even from our standpoint, people who broker in real estate, it really does depend on the area you should get into is based on your ability to handle risk. Uh, like it's a, our business is a commission business. So some areas of the business offer you a little more security than others. And the security is more in being able to get signs on properties, getting calls from clients. So that, you know, the interaction goes both ways, <clears throat> but, uh, and people in buying real estate should also look at it the same way. You know, how much risk can you stand? So people that, you know, own a house uh, and they buy a second house to rent it out, you know, and then they buy a, a duplex or a fourplex. So residential real estate, rental real estate is considered the low risk area. 
especially in our market, uh, once wheat goes vacant, generally you've got it rented before the next period comes up. So you rarely have any amount of risk. But if you have a, a retail a couple of stores and one store goes vacant, all of a sudden you've got a 50% vacancy. And uh, similarly in industrial, an investment, uh, you know, other types of investments, you know, similar. Hotels uh, right now, hospitality is probably the worst hit of any any sector. So it's, a, it's really the amount of risk you can handle and your ability to handle, you know, the types of tenants that you have. You have office, if you have an office building, generally if an office tenant leaves, you've got to outfit the space, get it ready for the next tenant. Industrial, not so much. You know, you've got, you know, four industrial units, one tenant leaves, you rarely do much to the unit, but you've got to find another tenant to fill it. So it's, it's really a matter of how much risk you're willing to tolerate. I mean, being a financial person, that makes that makes good sense. And and I know in terms of risk, with everything that's been going on in the world, and you touched on how hospitality has been hit hard. I know Katie's got a bunch of questions asking and prepared about COVID. Um, would be great, uh, Katie, for you to sort of tee one of those questions up. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Adrian. So, Kelly, let's talk a little bit about you know the impact that COVID nineteen has sort of on the broader Canadian real estate market. And then more specifically, how Colliers is maybe changing its approach during this time. There are, uh, and then this probably applies to anybody who's a real estate agent, you know, on, on the list, I, I recognize a few names, <clears throat> you know, for those people and for us, uh, this, what happens in a market like this is the ex expectation gap widens. So all of a sudden, you know, the buyers, we talk to, talk to buyers most every day, and buyers now think, God, this is, a, this is going to be a real opportunity. The prices are going to drop, you know, 20, 25%. And, uh, that, you know, that's not the case, but that's the way they're thinking. Sellers, of course, you know, look at the market the way it is. You know, if office vacancies are 3%, industrial vacancies are 1%, and, uh, you know, apartment vacancies are 1%, you know, nothing much has changed. You know, so that's that's what the toughest thing going forward is how do you manage those expectations? You know, so you've got to now convince the buyers that, look, that's not true. You're not, prices haven't gone down. You know, buildings are still full. The tenants are still paying rent. You know, that's a little bit of a question mark now, and, you know, especially in more in retail properties and, uh, than industrial or office uh, on, on the tenant, uh, you know, asking for breaks on rent. Mm -hmm. And so I guess pulling on that thread a little bit more with regards to property management, like what sort of things have you seen, um, you know, during this time with respect to some of your tenants, like are, are you know, they're asking for relief or what sort of things are in place to support them? You know, they are. The property managers now are just, it's all, it's full time handling relief. I talked to one uh, uh, property owner and manager. I think he has, and he's, a lot of his portfolio is retail. He's got 360 tenants, 320 of them asked for relief. Wow. Uh, but, you know, and you can work with them. I mean, there's pretty legitimate reasons. But I've also seen examples, I don't know if, 
there was a podcast that uh, uh, Ed Sunshine from Rio Can did the other day, and he even mentioned one of the tenants that you know that was refusing to pay rent, and he said, "Look, your balance sheet's as strong as ours. You know why should we give you a break?" So some of the major companies, you know, they're looking for breaks when they don't really need it, and that's that's a lot of the issue right now. Everybody's stepping up, but the area that I've been surprised in is the uh, is the apartment rental market. There haven't been as much uh, slippage, you know, people not paying rent. And similarly in Seattle, I got a report from uh, a good friend down there that has manages 1,800 units, and he figures maybe about three percent uh, may not pay. Uh, that was in April. Didn't change that much the first of May. You know, maybe going into the third month it might get it a little higher. But those, you know, those are reasonable quality buildings and 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 a good good tenant mix that's been really checked out. And the only thing that he noticed was that uh, there's fewer turnovers in suites. People aren't really rushing to move because they're a little uncertain about everything else. So <clears throat> that's a plus. You know, he had half as many tenants advise that they were going to leave. You know, maybe to a better situation, maybe to buy a house. People aren't making those decisions, so they they are sitting still, which gives you some sense of security. Right. And so, what about the property marketing and sales side of things? How have you guys had to adapt, given you know the social rules and things like that? It's 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 it's, it's quite quite tricky right now. What the uh, like the the office guys and the younger guys are pretty tech savvy, so now they're, uh, you know, they're setting up virtual tours, you know, just immediately, and our marketing department is just going full bore, on with all those tools that uh, that help, <clears throat> but still, one of the fellows mentioned this morning that he, he, he was touring a floor in an office building in Metrotown, and you know he meets three people at, at the front door, you know, and he was a little alarmed that there were three gets up to the floor and there's 12 others <laughs> there <laughs> as part of the group. So he was a little panicky about that, but, uh, and, and what we're doing with uh, a lot of the owners, uh, they'll, they'll do all the openings of the doors and closing of the doors, but there aren't, you know, there aren't that many physical tours. I mean, there's, that's been cut back drastically and people have to be really careful. And now, you know the owners, uh, the building owners are getting, you know, uh, getting you to sign a waiver that uh, that if you do get sick, you can't sue them. You you got to absolve them of any liability. Right. And do you think that you know? I mean, obviously, it's tricky times right now. Do you feel like any of the strategies you guys have been using for virtual tours have been more successful than how you've traditionally been doing? Um, you know, your real estate relationship management, or do you, or can you guys not wait to get back to how it was? Talking about myself, not being so high on the tech curve, I can't wait to get, uh, <laughs> get, get I'm working out of our dining room, which, which is nice. I got a nice view of the city and, uh, and uh, you know, I'm not used to, I don't know if my wife's within earshot, but, uh, you know, I've been getting three nice meals a day. It's like being in a fancy restaurant. So, <laughs> that doesn't happen too often because I'm usually eating out at lunchtime, and uh, but but the other part of it, I'm not, you know, I I just I really miss, you know, I've, I've had lunches, you know, booked over the last month uh, that were booked 
a couple of months ago. They've all been pushed out, pushed out, and I've got to work on that now. I've got a couple of next week that I, you know, because the restaurants we're going to aren't open. So it, uh, it has changed things, but most guys, most people that I talk to can't wait to get back. But right. getting back, it may, it may, it'll be a new normal. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm sure some of the, some of these behaviors that have been ingrained in us over the past two months will still carry forward, even once some of these restrictions have been lifted. Well, they will. They're talking about, you know, elevators, uh, you know, in our building going, you know, they'll allow four people in the elevator, but each person has to face the corner. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and even just like scoping with entrances to buildings and just managing the, the like flow of people in, in and out of these buildings will be really interesting. You know, Stephen was mentioning that, you know, there are in a lot of the countries, they, uh, they do check your, check your temperature on the way into a building. Uh, you know, it's never happened here. You know, you look at New York since, uh, uh, since 9-11. I mean, you can't get into a building or go to an office without having been approved at the desk, at the front desk, and signing in to get up the elevator. Uh, so that, that, you know, that, that hasn't happened here, but it's going to come, it's going to go towards that now where security, uh, how people are checked when they come into a building, all of that is going to have some bearing. And people, you know, they're not, the attitude of, you know, playing hurt or playing sick uh, is not going to be looked at, looked at too, uh, too favorably. Right. And so I guess similar to, similarly along those lines, like what are your thoughts on, you know, the sudden increase in remote work and how that's going to impact real estate? Like what, what are you, what do you think the impacts of that are going to be? Do you think commercial space will increase, decrease, stay the same? Well, I think there'll be a bit of a balance. I think some of the, some of the businesses that have really blossomed in the last few years, you know, might suffer on the short term and that's more of the co-working space. You know, the, the companies like WeWorks and Spaces and so forth, uh, they're going to struggle a bit because they're used to, although they, they do have a large percentage of, of single offices, but still in the open areas, they cram the people in. So I think what those firms that have been using them will say, look, you guys have gotten used to working from home. We want you to continue. You know, we will take... Uh, some of the management people, a few people in, in in the private offices. So that'll suffer. But the normal office space, uh, I think, because of the social distancing and people wanting a little more space, you know, uh, companies that have gone to open plans, you know, are probably going to have to either allow more space. So the fact that people are taking up more space, the companies aren't going to take up less space overall. Right. And so, um, do you think that you know people who have sudden who have let their employees work remotely and are finding that it actually hasn't impacted business continuity? Do you think that some businesses may potentially just say, you know, I don't actually need any any space downtown because I I can have all my employees at home and it is still effective? Well, I think what'll happen, uh, you know, some of the companies I think, uh, and we've seen that just over the last even before this. Uh, like the engineering companies, you know, that uh, the uh, construction companies, I mean, they, lot, most of them have offices downtown, but it's not that convenient for the workers. I mean, 80% of their staff 
you know, have to transit into the downtown area. So they've, they've been thinking about this anyways, and I think that'll get accelerated. Uh, but I think uh, uh, the others, uh, you know, the law firms and so forth, I don't think, you know, a certain amount of the support work will be done from remotely. You know, things like uh, their libraries and so forth, they're all on, uh, uh, you know, not, not physically there, so they have reduced their space. Uh, but I think that whole, they've done that rationalizing their space by putting more people into the square footage, but I think it's going to go the other way. Right. So do you think this crisis is going to change types of markets um, or properties that clients are interested in? Do you think that there will be, you know, a desire to be in secondary markets where there is less density and population? I don't, uh, I mean, it's just certain types of uh, product is going to get affected more than others. Uh, and retail is the obvious one. I mean, you know, what they've said about, uh, you know, this online shopping, uh, I mean, it's accelerated uh, like crazy. Like the company that Adrian, uh, you know, has been with and still still consults with, uh, Spud, which is a home delivery company. I mean, their, their volume has gone up 100% and some markets 150%. But I don't think it'll, 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 some of that'll stick, not all of it, but uh, I think those businesses will increase. So, you know, so retail is going to get affected because uh, of the online shopping. I mean, this morning they announced that uh, uh, Neiman Marcus are, have gone into bankruptcy protection. Uh, who was it uh, just the other, uh, the other week, uh, Jay Crew went in. But they were, they were in a little different, they were both leveraged buyouts by private equity firms, you know, would, put, would just put a lot of debt on the balance sheet. So they were, they were suffering from a lot of debt. Uh, so, but they, but all, even the other, most of the department stores, uh, it's an obsolete sort of a uh, format anyways. They, they either have to get into real, really shrink it down and things that can be bought online, you know, you just take less space for those areas. So I think retail would be the, uh, has been and will continue to be the biggest loser. And, you know, when you talked about office space demand right now, uh, any space that's given up right now, you know, somebody like an Amazon will take. They're actively looking for 500,000 square feet in this market, office space. They're looking for a couple of million square feet of industrial space. So for the time being, anything that comes available, they're going to, any large space, it's not, you know, they're looking for space. It's, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 feet at a time. They'll probably take up. So uh, short term, uh, I don't see that much effect on office. I think rents will come off a bit. Uh, and and sublease space, I think uh, excess space will be, uh, will get hit a little bit. So uh, rents might come off, you know, I don't think any more than, you know, the real top end of the market. I don't think people are gonna be paying $60 rents, uh, net rents that they've been asking. That'll, that, I think that'll soften a bit, but I don't think any more than 10%. Uh, the industrial market, of course, is, uh, is just red hot. I mean, it's, uh, it's probably the most sought after and it'll continue because of, uh, you, know, you know, the uh, online shopping. Uh, all these, all these uh, logistics companies want 
they want to be close to where the people are. So we're, you know, Amazon have uh, millions of square feet of industrial that they're looking for, mainly for fulfillment centers. I know we're, we're going to get a preview of this next week firsthand, but I'd be curious to hear your, your thoughts on food service. On food service, I guess, uh, I, I, you know, again, I think that uh, uh, we're not quite to the extent of the Americans, but, you know, like they opened up restaurants in, in Georgia. You know, everyone thought, you know, uh, that, you know, a little bit crazy, but they did. What happens? People start coming across the border. You know, and all of a sudden they're panicking again. What, what's going on? You know, they're coming coming from the adjoining states because restaurants are open. So people, you know, I just think people uh, will continue to want to socialize. Uh, but I think restaurants for the time being, you're going to have fewer people in the restaurants. All of a sudden the city, which was, was always complaining like crazy about having outside seating, you know, nudging onto the sidewalks, all of a sudden now we're going to encourage it. Hmm. Outside, I think all the restaurants. Have, I mean, you got Emot coming on. Uh, you know, he he generally has decks. You know, I would think you know he'll open up that outer area that they have on Global. You know, on uh, you know open that up out, out to uh, out to Georgia Street, and you can put you can seat 150 people out there. So I, so I think that'll that's where it'll start. You made an interesting point about Georgia and, and the borders. What do you think the impact of the, the border closure with the U.S. has had on, on the market and real estate investing? I think uh, not so much on the real estate investing. I mean, I, I feel badly for, you know, golf courses like Simiamu because uh, I think, you know, 60% of their traffic is, is Canadians coming from, uh, you know, South Syria and so forth. So that's a real real hindrance, I think, for uh, any any recreational activities. I mean, Bellis Fair, you know, the shopping malls and so forth. I mean, so much of their business comes from cross-border traffic. You know, they'll they'll suffer. Uh, but I think, uh, I think Washington, uh, you know, the border probably, you know, hopefully does open up, uh, you know, a little, you know, little bit of casual travel, but it'll probably be you know, I think it's going to be the summer before that happens. Great. Thanks, Kelly. Um, so I know we want to talk a little bit about sort of coming out of COVID and this crisis. So I'll flip it over to Adrian again shortly, but just a reminder to everyone on the line, if you have any questions for Kelly, pop them in the, in the chat, the Zoom chat. Uh, so Adrian, I'll flip it over to you. Thanks, Katie. Um, you know, we started the conversation, Kelly, and you talked about you know, uh, tempering the expectations of, of buyers and sellers in this market and in this COVID-19 times. Um, knowing that, what opportunities do you think may exist or do you see coming in the, the next 12 months as we come out of, uh, or as we get into the new normal, as Dr. Bandy Henry says? Uh, I think the area that uh, where the expectation gap gets the widest is on land, on developable land. Uh, and even even in the industrial market, which is probably the tightest market we have, you know, uh, buying land to build a new building, there's some risk attached to it. You know, are the costs going to go up? Are things going to change? Are concrete costs going to go up? That sort of thing. So, I I think that there there may be some uh, you know some bargains to be had uh, in in the land area. 
certainly in the condominium development plan and it's it's gone you know that's just kind of stopped because uh, you know, first off the city halls are closed you can't get any any permits and things done so the whole process has slowed down so much that uh, I think there's going to be some panic selling in land. And you started the conversation talking about uh, how much risk you're talking, you're prepared to take on, and the opportunity now seems to be something that has a big risk attached to it. How, how could one mitigate that risk in your mind? One way is to have cash. It's, I mean, they're hovering now. I mean, we've got, we get lots of calls from people that are, that are cashed up <clears throat> that are looking for opportunities. But what they would have paid, uh, you know, we, we're seeing probably more of that uh, in Alberta where there's more risk attached. But uh, we're working on a couple of things there that uh, uh, where a party would have paid, uh, you know, a price that was maybe, uh, you know, 20% less than what, they, what the party was asking. You know, that's now gone up to 30% less. Know, the party is asking is still not biting, but uh, but that's 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 where you'll see it. I think it's uh, it's the riskier areas, but uh, uh, if you've got cash, that's one way to mitigate risk. Do you think all, 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 all the real estate agents on the line? You know, <laughs> you know, don't deal with. I mean, dealing with people that uh, that have to leverage and you know try and get because uh, uh, financing. You know, we'll talk about that as well. It's uh, even though most bankers will still say it's, it's business as usual, it's business as usual until they start seeing some problems. And then all of a sudden they're spending 90% of their time solving those problems. So something that could have been done, you could have got an answer in, in, uh, in uh, seven days, will all of a sudden take 14 days, which will take 21 days. Do you still see transactions happening, or do you think there's going to be a bit of a cooling off in in, in our mar major markets? No, the uh, are you talking financing or transactions? Financing period? and real estate transactions. I think both. Well, you know, transactions are certainly still happening. We've, uh, uh, I mean, our first quarter on the, on the commercial side, and a lot of that business, you know, was started beforehand. Was the best quarter we've ever had, and then. Uh, even going into April, the ones that, you know, it just took a little longer to get closed. Uh, you know, we put uh, put a property out, uh, a major property that was, a, you know, a site, development site, you know, $150 million range, you know. And I thought we were crazy having people come in with bids, but got five legitimate bids. But it, it, it takes more time to work those through and you got to be very careful which one you pick, because uh, you know the chances of uh, you know going with one that has less chance of completing. You know, once it falls apart, it almost taints the property. So the next one it, it gets even tougher. So you have to be very very selective on uh, who you're dealing with, how well you know them, and uh, you know just you know it's no different than uh, you know getting getting tenants i mean nowadays you've got to you've really got to check them out and the banks are going to be uh, banks are you know they're certainly open to business you know with their top five clients you know that have 
you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of assets anyways. So, you know, that's the reason, that's the, that's the comments to say, yeah, we're open for business. But then you go to the next level, it gets a little tougher. You go to the next level, they won't even bother, you know. So that's, uh, it's, uh, you know, then you got to go to uh, the secondary lenders. And some of the secondary lenders are running out of money because they're, uh, there's so much in demand right now. Well, you know, those, those next level, next level are, are likely the, the youth today and the younger generation. So I'm curious to hear what advice you might have to that, that younger generation and how to get ahead in these times or, or find a way to, to capitalize on the opportunities that may exist. I think, you know, the younger people that are starting out, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how uh, over the last 10 years coming out of, uh, you know, the 08 uh, crash, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, young developers, but most of them, what they've done, even though they appear to be the face of that business, they've got some real strong backing. You know, the backing doesn't show, but, you know, we all know of five or six groups that are, you know, the front man is, uh, is a you know, very capable guy, but it's, you've got to have backing. You can't, uh, today going into uh, this next little while, uh, I think if you're not properly funded or not properly backed, you're just asking for trouble. And how does one sort of build up that backing or funding? Is that, uh, that might be a whole different conversation on financing and, and capitalization, capital markets, but as a young person. Well, this, you know, this town, uh, it's not a big corporate city, but it's got a lot of family wealth. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at some of the stronger families, even the ownerships of real estate in families, you know, like Joe Siegel, like Gordon Diamond, like Stuart Belkin. I mean, those families have, you know, just huge wealth from their own businesses, plus they're big in real estate. And they're, uh, they, they're quite eager to back young entrepreneurial guys because they, they've got their businesses around, uh, they're doing stuff and they don't mind, uh, you know, helping people, not helping people out, <laughs> they're helping themselves as well. Yeah. You, if you've got lots of energy and you've got some know-how, uh, you're going to do well. You know, you're, but you're going to be, uh, you know, as everyone on this, on this call, you know, this isn't a 36-hour-a-week job that we have. You know, you've got to be willing to work, you know, get, you know, work those 60 hours a week. Uh, and that'll get the attention of these families that have, have money to back you. So you made reference to a weight crash and, and we talked a little earlier about 9-11 and, and all the different recoveries. What do you think we learned from some of those major crises of past to take forward as we move into the next? You know, the crises were a little bit different. I think 9-11, uh, of course, really affected the airlines and travel. Everybody just was paranoid about moving. <clears throat> you know, the 08 crash really affected the banks. You know, they were, they were undercapitalized uh, and they took some bad risks. Uh, but this one, of course, the banks are strong. You know, it's not, they're saying the airlines are affected because nobody's moving. And that's a, I mean, that's, you talk about a business that just gets hammered. Uh, you know, and then you get a big investors like uh, Warren Buffett, who had an interest in, in four of the major carriers in the U.S. All of a sudden, 10 days ago, makes a decision that he's going to sell it all. 
He's right out of the airlines. Uh, it's just going to take them longer. You know, they get a real plus with the value, you know, the price of oil, but they get a real negative because nobody's climbing on the airplanes and it's just getting, it's just getting tougher. So that'll be, I think, especially international travel, I think local travel, travel to the U.S., travel for, for pleasure. I think that'll come back uh, probably quicker than most people think, but I'll tell you international travel, going on to cruise ships, I mean, that's going to take a long time and, you know, Petri bowl of a cruise ship, you're, you're <laughs> inhaling, inhaling all that, all those uh, toxins that are in the air. That's a, it's a crazy. Do you, do you think retail will recover? I think retail will recover. Of course, parts of retail are doing very well. Like at the grocery stores, the pharmacies, uh, you know, their their you know their business couldn't be better today. <clears throat> but I think. Uh, uh, I think retail, it's, uh, uh, you know, builds a strong online presence. Retail, you know, uh, you know is going to continue to do well. Uh, and, uh, you know, Amazon, uh, I mean, they, they're just spending billions. I mean, I'm not even sure that, they're, that their business, you know, of online shopping, uh, you know, is making money on a continual basis and make it sometimes and not others. You know, they've got that web service business that's been very profitable for them. But they're just ramping up and spending, you know, they're just, they'll be such a juggernaut. So uh, once they get over the hump, you know, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be unbelievably strong. And will they crowd others out of the, the market here in Vancouver, you think? Well, I think they already have. But then, you know, there's other players that, uh, that can, that have the, uh, you know, have the balance sheet. You know, the Walmarts of the world. You know, Walmart's, uh, you know, they just decided, you know, it wasn't that long ago, probably only five years ago, really, to get into online, and they'll, they'll do, they'll, they'll, they'll do well, but it'll, it'll, it'll narrow the field. I think in every retail sector, you'll just have fewer players, uh, and those, they'll, they'll get stronger, and the, and, and it all gets down to balance sheet, you know, how, how, how much, how, how much strength do they have, you know, because it gets down to how long are they going to last? I mean, you see these stats of people, you know, in their businesses. If you don't have any business coming in, how long will it last? I mean, there's, there's, a, there's umpteen numbers of, of businesses that say I might last two months. You know, obviously they don't have, you know, those family businesses are really, you know, that didn't, uh, didn't have proper backing. You know, they're the ones that... Uh, should really be out looking for proper backing to, to survive. So as we look ahead to, to the next 12 months, what do you think we should all be keeping in our minds and, and sort of any last words before we turn it open to questions from the rest of the group? Well, I think, I think you, wanna, you, you wanna stay positive, number one. I don't think, uh, I don't think it ever uh, you know, helps I mean, sometimes, I mean, you know, for the agents on the line again, you know, you know, typically the buyers, you're going to be more positive than you are to sellers because uh, you like to point out some of the negatives to sellers to get them to be, you know, adaptable on their price. But, but for, I mean, just look out the window. I mean, uh, where would you rather be? You know, the long-term positives of being in Vancouver and living in this sort of a, 
environment uh, of having proper controls and so forth, I mean, trumps anything. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, uh, it's, you know, there's no point being negative and there's no point talking negative. I don't think it, uh, it helps anybody. And I've, uh, that was one of my, my tools. I never, in my hiring, I hired a lot of young people and, you know, I never looked at their resumes and there's nothing on a resume that tells me what, uh, what they're capable of. Certainly didn't look at their references. I've never seen a bad reference. And I certainly, one of the other things, I never looked at their transcript of marks because I know how I get through university, it wasn't on marks. So, so really, I think you want to stay positive. And I think the, the winners are going to be the ones that are positive. And nobody likes to listen to negative news. Uh, you know, if you need that, just watch CNN. Oh, and it seems to be free right now, CNN. Um, maybe just a, a, like a, a quick tip question for the group is, what resources do you, do you spend your time on to stay up to date on the industry and get your information, just with the reference to CNN? Well, I, you know, I do watch uh, uh, that uh, Kramer and those guys for a bit. Like, I'm an early riser, and they're, they're on, uh, you know, they come on at... Uh, uh, you know, I think the first part of it starts at uh, five o'clock, and uh, and I'm you know we're we're up uh, uh, you know my wife and I are usually we're early risers, so I'm usually you know up at five thirty, and and uh, we have uh, we have breakfast together, and that always shocks some of the wives. I mean, your wife gets up that early, I see, and we can talk about uh, you know what we what we have planned if we have people coming over for dinner or what our plans are, and. and of course, that to me, I tell the young people, that's my ultimate time saver. That, and they, they say, wow. Oh. I say, well, she never has to call me at the office. <laughs> nice. And she picks up her own loaf of bread if she needs it. So. <laughs> She's gluten-free. <laughs> um, are, there, are there any specific like websites or blogs or news, news uh, like uh, specific resources that you think are good for people to, to keep up with? One do I see that I uh, that's kind of a real estate one that I, I was pretty I'm always it's more hey, what what uh, one of the good things about maybe being you know at, at, at the size that we are uh, we do have uh, you know a real good research department so I just encourage the young guys and one and one of the guys I mean he sends these these uh, these you know fresh new things out most every day. And I, uh, I find those very helpful. And, and I encourage the young people to, to grab onto that right away and, and send it out to 20 or 30 people. Because you don't, don't ever assume that somebody already knows something. You know, that, that a company went into bankruptcy, this. You know, even and when you send it out to them, if they, if they did already know about it, they usually say, well, I heard about that. And you can tell them, well, you're really on top of things. If they hadn't heard about it, all of a sudden you're a value to them. So, uh, but there's one real estate one that I, I uh, maybe I can get that back to uh, uh, the Katie and, and, and she can circulate it, but it seemed, it seemed like it has really, and it's just strictly related to real estate. And I think it even starts with a real something or other, but it, it's, I find that quite up to date and, you know, it's opinions. So you got to take it with a bit of grain of salt, but uh, but most of them are quite uh, quite enjoyable. Like the, right now, the you know the uh, the chief economist with CIBC. I went to listen to him. I, the CIBC people invited me 
he was in town. I mean, it was only like three months ago, or less than three months. And you talk about how optimistic he was. You know, but even today, he came out with something else saying that, look, this won't take as long as you think. You know, so his positive run is, sure, we're going to go through, you know, so, the, you know, the worst case scenario, people say we're going to go into a depression. You yeah. Know, and the others say, oh, no, it's going to be a recession. And it's or somewhere between the two. You know, I think for sure we're going into a recession, but we're certainly not going into a depression uh, temporarily because, you know, you're, you know, the unemployment rate's gone up to, uh, you know, 25% or something in the U.S., but a lot of those workers are in hospitality and industries like that, entertainment, they're going to be going back. Yeah. It's not like the, you know, the Great Depression when, you know, 35% of them were out of work for a long time. Well, I, I totally agree. I think staying positive is, is the right message. And I'm curious to hear what uh, the rest of the group wants to hear from you, Kelly. So I'm going to pass it to Katie to see what uh, questions there are from the group. Perfect. Thanks, Kelly. That was great. That was really insightful. Appreciate it. Um, so we're going to flip it over to Stephen Jagger to facilitate the questions. He's co-founder of Addy. Um, and again, as a reminder, if you have any questions, just feel free to pop them into the chat bar on the Zoom. Thanks, Katie and Adrian. Uh, hi, Kelly. Um, it's funny, I've been taking notes as these questions come in. <coughs> They're kind of all over the place. Um, it's funny though, when you mentioned CNN being negative, a few different people said, wait, CNN's positive, Fox News is negative. So everybody's got the different opinions, but we'll steer clear of that stuff. The first question um, I've got here is, if you had $5,000, where would you invest it tomorrow? I think uh, in real estate, uh, other than other than what you guys are trying to do, I don't think five thousand dollars will get you very far. Uh, but I I think uh, you know most young people uh, that are looking to invest, and even you know five thousand is probably the wrong number to pick. But I I really do think that uh, people should you know buy themselves their their dwelling, their the roof over their head. I mean it's this you know people think it's a little old fashioned, but you go into uh, you know, into into the Asian countries and so forth. I mean, they literally will pay, uh, you know, 60% of their income towards having ownership as opposed to paying, you know, uh, 25 or 30% of their income for a rental. But that's, you know, over here it's changed a bit because all of these, a lot of these technology kids, uh, you know, really don't, uh, the millennials sometimes aren't as keen to say, I really want to get planted. I want to get my feet planted. They're not so concerned about that. So they're, they're, uh, they're anxious to still just rent uh, and stay with that and, and rent in the closer in areas where, where there's lots of action. So a little more short-term focus. But I think as soon as you can, you know, I would buy your first condo that you're going to live in. Uh, and then go from there. Once you have that, uh, you know, I keep it, uh, don't be that concerned about ever getting a clear title. If you gain some equity in it, refinance it, and then buy a, buy another condo that you might rent or buy, you know, buy something that you might, uh, might rent. So I think that's the best way. And, and the other thing is I, I, I still advise young people to, to keep, you know, maxing out their RSPs. I mean, those are things that it's, uh, it's always a bit of a pain when you do it, 
but I'll tell you, as you see it mount build up over time, you know, and then all of a sudden you've got, you know, you've got, you know, a million dollars or two million dollars uh, there. I mean, then, you know, that's the way you kind of set yourself up so you can relax a bit. Definitely. Definitely. It's funny, the question that uh, the, the person that asked the, that $5,000 question and where would you put it? He sent in a quick note immediately after as you as you're finishing the question. He said, uh, I'm 71 years old, not a young person, and I already own my property. Um, so he said, yeah, he's basically asking if, you know, an extra 5,000 or 20,000 or just a general idea outside of your own property. Is there specific areas of Canada or specific types of real estate? It, it also definitely looks like a, a loaded question from, from Addy's point of view, because obviously uh, small dollar amounts fit very well into what we're up to. Um, but is there, is there certain places in Canada or, or, or like residential, industrial, commercial that are of, of more interest to you? I think, sure, REITs, uh, I mean, right now, the, uh, uh, you look at the more popular real estate categories, uh, you know, industrial, uh, the industrial REITs have been, uh, have been very popular. Uh, residential REITs, uh, you know, they've, uh, they've, they've held their own. A uh, couple of them have gotten a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit carried away uh, where they've, uh, you know, they've lost uh, some of their value. Uh, and some of them have cut uh, cut distributions. I think I'd watch that. I think you want to, uh, whenever you look at any of these REITs, the real estate REITs, you know, make sure they're not paying out, you know, 80, 90, 100, 110% of what they're taking in. You know, you want to get in, in and have a look and say, you know, conservatively, if they're paying out, you know, 50%, maybe even 60%, you know, that's, that's the type of... Uh, know safety area that you want you don't want ones that are you know showing you a good return you know maybe giving you an eight percent return but they're paying out 98 percent of what they take in gotcha switching gears a bit what do you think generally about alberta is it coming back is oil and gas going to be a problem is it a good opportunity Alberta right now with uh, as far as making a, a real estate investment I think even for you fellows I think uh, uh, like you know their cap rates now I mean you buy for returns uh, you know the industrial cap rates in Vancouver as an example you know they were they were as low as three and a half four percent and you know now they're, they're they'll edge up a little bit Calgary of course was down in that in that four and five percent as well you know, three years ago, four years ago. But now that's nudged up where uh, you can probably buy industrial properties for close to 7% yields. So, and again, industrial in certain areas is still pretty good. And I think, uh, I think the oil and gas sector will come back. I mean, I saw a ridiculous uh, article the other day where, where uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, Quebec or not, uh, who, the, uh, uh, they were thinking of tanking, tankering uh, BC Alberta oil to uh, to Quebec and the Maritimes. I saw uh, that. Yeah, through the through the through through the Yeah, yeah. I mean, how ridiculous! And they won't they won't go for building a pipeline. You know, uh, Quebec is. I mean, they get most of their oil from Saudi and uh, in Venezuela right now. Uh, ludicrous. And here's uh, here's. Irving Oil saying that the refinery has more capacity 
and they're going to take our oil, you know, by tanker. Uh, and, you know, and, and all these complaints about building the Trans Mountain Pipeline, uh, you know, I think they've gone through, in my mind anyway, some of the people may not agree, enough environmental reviews, and that oil is, you know, we're just getting, Alberta just gets nailed at every turn, you know, and now, you know, the government's phoning up some dollars to cap some of the old wells. I mean, what, what's that going to do to them? It, it sure helps a little bit by putting a few people to work. But the, the different levels of government haven't done any favors for for Alberta, and they've fed you know fed dollars into uh, into the into the into the coffers for years. Yeah. So you think you think there is there is a future there, so it might be a, potentially a good opportunity. Sounds for like sure. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have <clears throat> like Alberta, uh, and you know I mean this this is a little bit of a hope even for retail. We don't have near the uh, square footage of retail per capita that they have in the U.S. Uh, you know, it's like a, like a quarter. You know, I mean, they've got, so they're in a lot more trouble in the U.S. And, you know, even Alberta, I thought when they built West Edmonton Mall, on average, you know, that was enough to service so the whole city of Alberta and then some, or the whole city of Edmonton and then some. But that survived well, and they've built several others. It's because we just have less square footage. I would, I'd, I'd watch the retail sector to invest in Alberta, but, but I'd think industrial and, you know, residential, uh, I think uh, definitely will come back. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't think, I don't know if everybody thinks about it, oils in every product we almost all buy, it's in everything. So um, different, different, uh, bit of a different one here. Do you think small corner stores will come back as part of community, community, community plans? And real estate developments, like they used to back in the day, you'd have your little small, you know, store on the corner with candy and milk and eggs and stuff like that. You talk to you talk to most people in neighborhoods. Like what's happening with a lot of shopping centers as they're repurposing them, it's more to to service the locals. I mean, there's more. Uh, like uh, you take Tawasson down in Tawasson, you know, we least least up. Uh, uh, the uh, more the the center next to the big one, and had great success. You know, family style businesses. You know, dance studios. You know, things that people wanted kind of handy. And people, it's amazing with uh, with uh, with corner stores if they're uh, if they're offering proper service. You're really getting to know their clients. You know, and and giving them good service. Now doing a little bit of delivery. I, I think there's uh, there's hope for them. I think there, and some people. I mean, you look at you know you look at something like Granville Market. Uh, you know, I don't. My wife enjoys shopping down there, especially at this time. Right now, you go down there when they open. There's nobody there. You go to a grocery store, and you still have to line up. So it's uh, uh, people kind of like feeding the, the local merchants, the local farmers that bring their goods in. I think it's a it's a feel good type situation that you're you're supporting someone it's always you know it's a family that operates them the kids are working there the, the mom the dad uh so it's uh and you know where do you think uh you know hy louis and london drugs and uh and the iga and, and all those businesses started you know with with a little family store definitely 
Definitely. Well, I find that I'm, I'm walking to ours. That's we've got a little one a couple blocks away just cause yeah, stand in line at, uh, at the grocery store. It's if we're just missing one or two items, it's quicker, maybe pay a buck more or whatever for the, for the item, but it's way more convenient and you're, yeah, you're supporting that little neighbor's business. Um, do you think the American election will be at a factor on Canadian real estate in any way? Uh, you know, I don't think so. It, uh, there isn't that much. I mean, there's been a couple of big players that have uh, that have been shopping in uh, in Canada. You know, Blackstone bought uh, Pyrite. Uh, you know, a billion or two billion industrial. You know, that bought the bought the REIT. Uh, you know, Blackstone, of course, Blackstone, you know, are, are most of the money behind the, uh, the Bentall Center purchase. Uh, so there's some of that because they're, you know, they've got, uh, uh, you know, I think they got a, you know, billion dollar, billion dollars a week to spend on, uh, on decent real estate. So, but there's not that many of them. There's not, uh, uh, there is maybe in the hospitality space, uh, U.S., but I don't, uh, uh, I think, if anything, this uh, deglobalization that that Trump is pushing for, you know, might you know it it might even benefit Canada, where you know they'll be more thinking about you know shop Canada be more thinking about dealing with the U.S. and Mexico as opposed to uh, you know going offshore. Great. So just watching time, I've got one more question for you here. Foreign buyers seem to be out of the picture. Do you think they'll come back? Do you think we need them back? Do like how do you think about uh, foreign buyers and foreign money coming into the real estate market? No, it's 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 exactly the opposite. Foreign buyers have, uh, are reasonably active right now, even in the residential side. What uh, what we're seeing, and I've talked to a couple of high-end realtors, and they've said that. Uh, uh, people have come over from Asia, done their 14 days isolation, you know, bought a five, six, seven million dollar property, hop back on the plane. They just think in the long run, this is the place they want to be, where their families want to be. So that, if anything, that's that's probably even, you know, been accelerated just in that very small top end of the market. Uh, and on the commercial side, we're seeing the same. We're seeing the uh, the major players uh, are are stepping up, uh, you know. But you know, a lot of the major deals down lately haven't haven't necessarily been to foreign buyers. I mean, you know, you know the uh, things like the Bentall Center were, you know, were sold from a foreign entity to, uh, you know, to a U.S. entity. Cross Mountain was sold from a foreign entity to a Vancouver-based family entity. So. So there's been been that, but uh, some of some of those Asian buyers, Asian owners have have been forced to sell a bit. They've uh, if they were associated with the government back there, they've tightened tightened the ropes on them a bit. Uh, but there's other groups that uh, uh, mainly a lot of the construction people that are in the construction business, manufacturing business in China, they've come over, and uh, one group is in the lighting business, big huge company. They've come over, uh, they've got a couple other uh, businesses. What they're doing is buying sites to build buildings and bring their, bring their own goods in to outfit the building. Great way to get money out of the country. And uh, 
uh, and a nice way to, for them to build, build a portfolio of real estate over here. Definitely. I remember uh, I lived in the Philippines for a bit in Singapore and talking with people over there about Canada. I think they look at some of the things that we have that we all take for granted, like general safety and clean air, where those are part of their purchasing decision for coming to a place like Canada is that it is safer and you know that the air is clean and that and that's part of the of the asset that they're purchasing so it's uh, they look at it a bit differently i think than locals but thank you very much for taking the time i'll bring katie back in here oh you're still there not on mute okay um to wrap us back up but thank you very much kelly that wraps another episode of the addy podcast be sure to hit subscribe to get the next episode for more information visit addyinvest.com until next time